0: 11 CHAPTER 7 Krishna speaks about the Masters of the avaduta and the Pigeon of Attachment. The Supreme Lord said That what you said to me, O greatly fortunate one, Uddhava, is indeed my plan to withdraw the dynasty. Brahma, Bhava and the leaders of the worlds are looking forward to see me back in my abode, I have completed my task here for the sake of the God-conscious souls to diminish the burden of the earth, for which I, upon the prayers of Lord Brahma, have descended, together with my partial expansion, Balarama. Because of the curse of the Brahmins, this family will certainly find its end. It will be destroyed in a mutual quarrel, and on the seventh day from now, the ocean will inundate the city. O man of virtue, when I have abandoned this world, it will soon fall victim of Kali and be bereft of all piety. After I have left, you certainly should not stay here, O gentle soul, for in Kali's time the people on earth will take pleasure in misconduct. With your mind fully fixed on me, you should in fact forsake all emotional ties with your family and friends, and being equal towards all, wander around in this world. This world you think of, talk about, look at, listen to and search, you should consider a transitory presentation of matters, a game of shadows that captures your imagination. Someone not spiritually connected is confused about many values and assumes things to be right or wrong. Thus considering good and evil, He makes a difference between right action, no action and wrong action. He judges. Consider therefore, with your senses under control and your mind connected, this world as situated within the Self that expanded everywhere, and that Self as being situated in Me, the Supreme Lord. Fully endowed with knowledge and wisdom, being satisfied in one's mind, and of understanding with the self that for every embodied soul constitutes the object of affection, one is never discouraged by hindrances. Having risen above the two of right and wrong, he does not turn away from what is forbidden, thinking it is bad, nor does he engage in what is enjoined because of considering it good. Like a young child, he does not judge. When one, firmly being fixed in knowledge and wisdom, sees the universe as being pervaded by me, and peacefully, as a well-wisher, acts towards all living beings, one will never again fall into the misfortune of repeated births. Sri Suga said O King, after this, by the Supreme Lord having been instructed, the exalted and fortunate Uddhava, eager to learn about the Supreme Principle, bowed down to the infallible Lord to offer His obeisances, and spoke. Sri Udhava said, O Lord of Yoga, O unity keeping us together, O essence of uniting in consciousness and source of mystical power, You spoke to my advantage about the forsaking, as is known in the renounced order, This renunciation is difficult to perform, my Lord, when one is dedicated to the not-regulated love of one's lust and sense gratification, especially when one is not devoted to you, I think. With my consciousness merged with the body and its relations as arranged by your maya, I am thus foolish being caught in the notion of I and mine. Teach me therefore so that your servant may easily perform according to the process you teach. Who else is there but you, who are of the truth, and personally, reveal yourself to me? Who else but my Lord, the Supreme Soul, does actually qualify for this? Not even among the awakened souls I find such a one. Everyone, up to the ones led by Brahma, is in his consciousness an embodied soul who, when he takes the external world for substantial, is bewildered by your Maya, i with my mind in renunciation am tormented by distress approach you therefore for shelter narayana o friend of men o you perfect unlimited and omniscient lord ever fresh in your abode of the supreme lord said human beings well acquainted with the state of affairs in this world generally deliver themselves with the help of their own intelligence from the inauspicious disposition of the I and Mind perspective. A person, in a way, constitutes his own Guru, because he, with the help of his reasoning and direct perception, his self-instruction, may find his real benefit. They who are wise and experienced with the order of Sankhya or Analytic Yoga, can see Me in their human existence clearly manifested in my full glory with all my energies many types of bodies have evolved with one two three four or more legs or with none at all the human form among these is the one most dear to me in this world being situated in such a body one may look for me the supreme controller by following direct signs in bhakti, listening and meditating with the help of one's qualities of perception, intelligence, mind and senses. But in mere jnana, by logical reasoning following indirect symptoms, the ones of my creation, I cannot be perceived as a person, and am even rejected. Concerning this, one cites the following ancient story of a conversation between the mighty king Yadu and an avaduta. Yadu, who was well versed in the Dharma, once saw a young brahmin mendicant wandering around unafraid of anything, and took the opportunity to ask him questions. Shri Yadu said, How did you acquire this extraordinary intelligence, O brahmin? How can you, fully cognizant, not being engaged in any work, travel the world with the confidence of a child? People, who are religious, work for an income, gratify their senses and pursue knowledge, are normally endeavouring for the purpose of opulence, a good name and a long life. You, however, capable, learned, experienced, handsome and eloquent as you are, are not a doer and do not desire a thing, like a stupefied, maddened, ghostly creature. Everyone burns in the forest fire of lust and greed, but you stand to be free from the fire like an elephant in the ganges and are not burned. We ask you, O Brahmin, to please tell us what the causes of the inner happiness that you, living all by yourself, experience without any form of material enjoyment. The Supreme Lord said, The Brahmin, thus being asked and honored by the greatly fortunate and intelligent Yadu, who, out of his respect for Brahmins, humbly bowed his head, then spoke. The Honorable Brahmin said, There are many spiritual masters I took shelter of by my intelligence, O King. Having learned to understand through them, I now, being freed, wander around in this world. Please listen to their description. The earth, the air, the sky, the water, the fire, the moon and the sun, the pigeon, the python, the sea, the moth, the honeybee and the elephant, the honey thief, the deer, the fish, the prostitute, the osprey and the child, the girl, the arrow maker, the serpent, the spider and the wasp, are my twenty-four spiritual masters, O King. From studying their actions, I in this life have learned everything about the Self. Listen, O son of Nahusha, O tiger among men, I will tell you what I have learned from each of them separately. From the earth I learned the rule that a learned person should not deviate from the path and keep steady. However much he is arrested by his fellow living beings who simply follow what is arranged by fate. From the mountain one must learn to be always there for others, that one must devote all one's actions to the welfare of others. For a pious person to the example of a tree be dedicated to others constitutes the sole reason for his existence. should be happy with the mere movement of his vital air, and not seek his satisfaction in sense-gratification. His spiritual knowing will thus not be lost, and his mind and speech will not be distracted. A yogi, free from selfhood, should, just like the wind, never get entangled in relating to the objects of the senses and all their different favorable and unfavorable qualities. When a self-realized soul has entered different bodies made of earth elements in this world and is endowed with their different qualities, he, well aware of himself, will not connect himself with these qualities, just like the wind does not with different odors. A sage should meditate upon the soul stretched out in all moving and non-moving living beings, and thereby, with his different contexts, consider himself a pure spirit, equal to the eater that expands everywhere. Just as the realm of the eater is not touched by the winds that blow the clouds, a person in his real self is not affected by his physical bodies consisting of fire, water and earth, that are moved by time according to the modes of nature. A Sage who by nature is a pure, soft-hearted, sweet and gentle place of pilgrimage for human beings, sanctifies, just like water, the souls who gather, the friends, by being seen by them, touched and honoured. Brilliant, glowing and immovable because of his austerity, he who only eats when it is necessary, is connected in the soul. Even when he eats everything and thus goes beyond necessity, he does not lose his purity, just like a fire does not, irrespective of what it consumes. Sometimes, like a fire under ashes being concealed, sometimes being manifested and being worshipable to those who desire the real benefit, he, the sage, when he serves as their guru, always enjoys their offerings and burns both their past and subsequent misfortune. The Almighty One assumes the identity of each after, just like fire appearing in firewood, having entered the different types of bodies of the higher and lower life-forms He created by His potency. The state of the body one undergoes from one's birth until one's death changes by the course of time that itself cannot be seen. It is the body that changes, not the soul just as the phases of the moon change, but not the moon itself. Just as with flames from a fire, individual souls cannot be seen separately from the bodies that constantly die and are born again, also the absolute of time itself cannot be seen, despite the relativity of its speeding, compelling stream. A Yogi with his senses accepts and forsakes sense-objects depending the moment, and does not attach to them, just as the sun, with its rays engaged in evaporating and returning bodies of water, is not ruled by them. When the sun seems to have fallen apart in its reflections, one, unless one is dull-witted, does not consider its original form as being different. Similarly, the soul, despite of having entered in reflections of different selves, is not seen as different. One should never lose oneself in too much affection or close association with anyone, because thus indulging one will suffer great distress, just like a foolish pigeon. A certain pigeon, once in the forest, built its nest in a tree, and dwelt there for some years with a female companion. The pigeons, with their hearts full of love, lived a householder's life, whereby their glances, bodies, and minds were tied to each other like with ropes. Trusting each other, making love, they in the trees of the forest were engaged in resting, sitting, walking, standing, communicating, playing, eating, and so on. Whatever she would like, O king, was what he, desirous to please her, did. He mercifully catered to all her desires, even when it was difficult, and had no control over his senses. The chaste female pigeon got pregnant for the first time and delivered in due course in the nest the eggs in the presence of her husband. From them at the appropriate time the little ones hatched with the tender limbs and feathers that were created by the inconceivable potencies of the Lord. The couple then, very pleased, nourished their progeny to which they compassionately listened to the awkward sounds of the chirping children that surrounded them. To see the little ones happy with their fluffy wings, their endearing chirping and their activities of jumping up to fly, filled the parents with joy. With their hearts bound together by their affection, they, not giving it any further thought, completely bewildered by the illusory potency of Vishnu, fed their children, their offspring. One day, the two heads of the family left for finding food for the children and wandered far away, most anxiously searching all around in the forest. Some hunter, who happened to pass through the forest, saw the young birds moving near their nest and caught them with a net he had spread. The male and female pigeon, who were always eagerly engaged in taking care of their children, thereupon returned to the nest to bring them food. The female pigeon saw that the little ones born from her, her children, were trapped in the net, and rushed forward in utter distress, crying out to them who were also crying. Bound to her love, constantly, she had looked after her children without a thought for herself, and so she, overwhelmed by the mire of the unborn one, forgot about herself, and was also trapped in the net. The unfortunate male pigeon most miserably lamented that his children and his wife, so much like him, had been caught. They were more dear to him than his life. Alas, just see how I, so unintelligent and of little merit, find my destruction. Unfulfilled, I failed in my life's purpose and have ruined my family life, the threefold path. She who suitable and faithful accepted me as her husband, as her God, has gone to heaven with her saintly children, leaving me behind in an empty house. What now is the purpose of my life with my wife and children dead? What is there for me, miserable and wretched, living in an empty nest? Seeing them caught within the net, still in the grip of death, he in misery sat motionless and also landed empty-minded in the net. The ruthless hunter who had achieved his purpose, took the householder, his children and his pigeon wife, and headed for his home. A family man who, dissatisfied with the soul, takes pleasure in material opposites like that of man and wife, will, unmeditated, suffer greatly with his relatives, just like this bird so miserable in maintaining its family. A person who achieved the human position but with the door of liberation wide open is attached to family affairs like this bird, may, to whatever height he might have reached, be considered fallen.